0: Isaiah chapter six this morning. Let's read Isaiah six. Thirteen verses, we'll just lead the whole passage together. You can follow along with me. And we do, if some of you are wondering what uh, translation we use the New American Standard here. New American Standard. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. Two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitants. Houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it and it will again be subject to burning like a terabith or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Father, we're always wanting an open heart listening ears to what the Spirit would say to the church. May that come through this morning from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Most likely, this passage is often used uh, by pastors and speakers to try uh, and extract from the congregation or those who are listening uh, to become full-time missionaries or enter full-time missionary service. That is and that's appropriate. This passage certainly speaks about that. Amen? It's the call of Isaiah to the full-time ministry. But for those of you who are getting nervous, I'm not going to do that this morning. I, so you can rest assured it's okay. I'm not going to ask you to, to join uh, uh, Micah and Jordan and Matt in, in Cambodia. I would never say that, but maybe the Lord would say that to you. But that's not my purpose here. My thesis is that the Lord has something for each of us to do. And it could be he's something he wants you to do this afternoon or something he wants to do for you to do tomorrow or perhaps a little bit longer, something he has for you for this summer, something perhaps he has for you to do for the rest of your life. It could be something short, just momentary, somebody he wants you to speak to or something that he wants to, for you to engage yourself for a period of time. And these, these tasks differ according to who you are, um, according to your spiritual gift. Now, the Bible says each of us have a spiritual gift. You know that. You're given a spiritual gift when you're saved. So there's a spiritual gift. There's also natural gifts that you had that were imparted to you when you were born. You're naturally maybe quick with speaking or you're better with your hands or you're better with computers or something like that, whatever it is. But also it's based on your... Uh, Uh, your personality, your history, what you've gone through, your experiences. (coughs) As I was talking about pro-life, some of the most effective women in the pro-life ministry and street street, uh, counseling, sidewalk counseling, are people who have, uh, early on, had had that same thing happen to them. And now they can speak with empathy and they have a powerful ministry speaking to ladies who are thinking about terminating their pregnancies. So there's all sorts of things that the Lord has for you. And so we have this group of people here this morning. There's many varied ministries and things and tasks that the Lord perhaps wants to call you to based on all those variables. Um, The question would be, well, how can we put ourselves in a place where the Lord can do that, where we can hear the Lord, where he can move us into this thing that he wants to do Um, you have to understand that Jesus, he wants you to have an abundant life. Didn't he say that? I came that they might have a life abundantly. That doesn't mean it's going to be, everything's going to be perfect, but it means that he wants you to have a life that is full and meaningful with a purpose, not just kind of, now it says in that same passage, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know what the devil wants you to do? Just sit around and have a meaningless, purposeless, flat, bland, boring life. Boring. That's what the devil would have you to do. That's what he wants you to do. But Jesus wants to empower you by his Holy Spirit so that you go forward and have this life that has some meaning and purpose. So how do we put ourselves? And that's, he does it. He calls you. I don't call you. Don't let anybody else call you. He calls you like he called Isaiah. Well, how do we put ourselves in a place where that happens to us? No matter what our ministry, maybe we're not called to be a full-time ministry minister. Perhaps you, there's some here, perhaps there are even some here who are called to be missionaries. I don't know. But the Lord will call you. Well, how do you put yourself in a place? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, and we see fourth, four qualities, four qualities in Isaiah's call that might, I think, apply to all of us. So let's take a look at it. Um, guys in the sound booth, I see a lot of fans going, uh, which means uh, we need to ramp up the air conditioner. See, what happens, now, if you attend Calvary Chapel, when you come to first service, you always bring a sweater. If you come to second service, don't bring a sweater. The reason is, the air conditioner, we get it going real fast in the first service, because what happens to the second service You guys that know your breathing overwhelm the air conditioning. It gets real hot in here. So, so, and occasionally when I see the fans going, it means that I don't know if the air conditioner will catch up, but we're trying our best. So if you like a cool service, first service, but bring a sweater. If you like a slightly warm service, second service. See, we're into choices here. Okay. (laughs) Let's take a look. First quality we see is found in verse 1. You need to have an accurate view of the shortcomings of men. An accurate view of the shortcomings of men. Verse 1, it says, in the year of King Uzziah's death. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. You could say that he's just identifying when he had the vision. So like it'd be saying, well, I graduated from high school in 1976 or whatever. You could look at that that way, and he could be saying that, but let me allow, stretch it a little bit. I think what he's saying is uh, that he saw the shortcomings of men through the death of Uzziah. What do I mean? Well, if you read in Second Chronicles twenty-six, the history of this man—he was sixteen years old when Uzziah became king. He reigned for fifty-two years. He was sixty-eight years old when he when he died, and he did great things. He was a powerful king and a very godly man for most of his life. The Lord used him to defeat all of his enemies, complete defeat. He had an army of 300,000 fine warriors. He even had an ability, and this is the only place I've ever seen in Scripture, he had the ability to design special machines of warfare whereby he defeated his enemies, greatly used. But at the height of his ministry... At the height of his power, he became proud. And he decided not only did he want to be king, but he wanted to be priest. So he entered the temple and offered incense. The priest said, wait, 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 no, don't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And he started rebuking the priest. And what happened? His whole body became leprous. And they took him out of the temple, and he spent the rest of his life in isolation in his own house. And his son took over in his place. Isaiah says, in the year King Uzziah died. What do we make of that? We make of that that Isaiah became fully aware that there was no hope for the nation, no hope for spiritual revival based on man, but on God. He saw the the futility as good as Uzziah was. He wasn't perfect, and he failed towards the end of his life. Now, over the years, we've become slightly gun-shy of putting a lot of trust in spiritual leaders, haven't we? We talked about that last, last week. Sometimes we think, yeah, that's our man. And maybe he's our pastor of our church or a pastor on the radio. And we think, yeah, what a great guy, man. He really, he's a wonderful man of God. And then some piccadillo comes along, and he, he gets trashed, and, you know, and some awful thing happens. I mean, oh, man. So I have to say that we've become slightly gun-shy of putting much confidence in men. Why is that? Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So if you have any confidence in men, you need to have it with just a little bit of holding back. Now, I have confidence in a couple of guys. Pastor Chuck. You know why? Because he finished the race He's done. He, there's no way he can mess up his ministries. He's in heaven with Jesus. Yeah. Jay Vernon McGee. He's another one. I mean, what a man of God. We have full confidence in his ministry. He's in heaven with Jesus. He's still on the radio, but he's in heaven with Jesus. Uh, Billy Graham. Now, he's not there yet, but I don't know if Billy's going to mess up too badly. I can have confidence in Billy. Amen. Now, we can apply this to the election coming up, but I don't, I'm not even going to go there. Just don't, go. But I have a lot of confidence in men that they're going to turn this country around. You know what's going to turn this country around? There's only one thing that's going to turn around. We need a revival. We need a revival. So I'm going to be a good citizen. I'm going to vote, and I hope you vote too. All of you vote. But uh, I don't have a lot of confidence. And it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the truth. Men come and go, but it's the power of the Lord that we're looking for. Okay, second thing, second quality that we see is found in verses 2 through 4. An accurate view of the Lord and his holiness. An accurate view of the Lord and his holiness. The text tells us that Isaiah saw the Lord and he saw his holiness. Now, I don't want to limit this vision that he has because I don't think this is natural. This does happens to a lot of people, okay? I don't think it happens. Now, I don't know, maybe it'll happen to you, or maybe it has happened to you. But I don't know if anybody here this morning will have this kind of experience. Now, Paul had that kind of experience, you remember? He had, on the Damascus Road, he saw the Lord. And then, later on, it said that he, he went into the third heaven. I think that's when they stoned him. He died, and he actually went to heaven, and he saw some things. Um, Peter, James, and John had the Mount of Transfiguration. They had something similar, but not exactly. So these are not common experiences um, that we have. And I don't know if you'd want say, well, you know, I'd, Pastor Neil, I'd really like to have this kind of experience. I'd like to see the Lord. And... That's very honorable, but you have to understand that to whom much is given, much is required. Which means what? That if you have this kind of vision, <clears throat> or kind of vision that Paul had, there's something that God wants you to do with the, for the rest of your natural life. You get the picture, guys? They had this vision because God had something very special, and it empowered them to do what God had for them. But wait a minute. We still need we need, still need to get an, a, an accurate picture of who the Lord is and His holiness. How's that happen? Well, there's many people who have a less than accurate view of the Lord and His holiness. Uh, you know, people say, "Well, the man." You ever have had friends say they talk about the man upstairs? Is there somebody on the roof? I don't think there's anybody on the roof. You know the, the man, you know, the man upstairs or um, my friend who watches over me. Well, he is the man upstairs, amen? He is a friend who watches over me, but he's much more than that, much more than that. He is the holy, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent present God, and he's absolutely holy. There's no darkness in him at all. He is light and love. How do we get a picture of that? without having this kind of experience, because I don't know if we're going to have a Peter James John experience or a Paul experience or, or an Isaiah experience. I don't know if we're going to have that. Well, we still need it. We still need to get an accurate view of the Lord and his holiness. And I think there's two things that have to happen. First, we have to stop believing in evolution. Stop. Stop it. If you believe in evolution, it's a lie. It's a dirty, rotten lie. Why do I say that? Because God spoke this whole universe into existence. Now, take a look at the universe. Did you see where they're sending that satellite to? Jupiter, is it? How long did it take there? Five years or six years or ten? I mean, and that's just the smallest. That's that's the smallest part. That's our little our little place. And there's billions of suns. Did you hear what I said? Billions of suns with trillions of planets, perhaps. We don't even know. We're so far away, we can't see them. That's the God that we serve, the God of the Bible. Get a, get a, get a picture of his, his power. You're dealing with, you're not dealing with the man upstairs. <laughs> Take a look at the beauty the power, the wonder, the beauty of this earth—it's expressive of His character. As a matter of fact, Romans 1.20 says His invisible attributes are clearly seen, so that you're without excuse. So, natural revelation and uh, supernatural revelation, which is the Bible, the Bible. Jesus says. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So how do you get an accurate picture of God? He's given you his commandments and he's asking you to obey them. Put them into practice, just like we talked about last week. And as you do, as you do, he will, are you ready? Reveal himself. Now, if you know the word, but you're not putting it into practice, he's not going to reveal yourself. Okay. He'll only give you as much as you want. It says in the Bible, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I'll come into him. I believe Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to kick the door open. He's not going to kick the door open. And I also believe, now you can disagree with me on this, that you can open the door as much as you want. He's that gracious. So if you just want to open the door and peek out, oh hi Jesus, how are you doing? You won't open the door for him. Well, I, well I just, you know, I'm just opening the door. I want to see you. You know, you're not going to get very much of Jesus. What he wants you to open the door and say, "Come on in, Jesus." And how do you say, "Come on in, Jesus"? He who has my commandments and keeps them, to him I will disclose myself. So how do we get an accurate view of the Lord and His holiness? Through natural revelation, through special revelation as revealed in the Bible. Now, if you're waiting for an Isaiah vision, or a Paul vision, or a Peter, James, and John vision, or whatever, you'll probably, that's an exercise in frustration, because most of us will not have this kind of experience. You could, because he's God, I don't want to put God in a box, he could do something wonderful, but for most cases... Uh, He's not going to have that, but we can also surely get an accurate view of his holiness and who the Lord is. Okay, third quality. An accurate view of one's own sinfulness. An accurate view of one's own sinfulness. If we see the shortcomings of man and we see the Lord and his holiness, the next point is just, just follows through. Isaiah is brought to recognizing his own sinfulness. Now, at this stage in Isaiah's life, any sense of pretense of being some sort of spiritual power has been quickly (laughs) washed away. Quickly washed away. Uh, He has seen the Lord. He has seen how oftentimes men start good, but they fail. He has seen the Lord and his holiness, and so... He comes to a realization of his own failings, of his own shortcomings, and that is key to the Lord using you. You see, I can feel pretty good about myself when I look at my neighbors. Now, most of my neighbors, some go to church, but most of them don't. So I can look around, and you can look at your neighbors, and you can feel pretty good. You can say, I spend hundreds of hours in church. <laughs> I'm much better than neighbor Joe. Or myself, as a pastor. I've been a pastor here since 1982, became senior pastor in 87, and just recently retired, stepped off as a senior pastor. And I can look at the CE Christians. You know what CE Christians are? Christmas and Easter Christians. Those are people who kind of just come and go, church, whatever, you know. And I can feel pretty good. I can think, you know, I'm I'm doing a lot better than those doofuses. But wait a minute. When I see the Lord and, ho- and His holiness, I am brought to the place in verse 5 where it says, Woe is me. <laughs> see, I can look at your life and I can feel pretty good. Not that you're a C&E Christian, but, you know, I'm a pastor. Come on. I, you know, I really love the Lord. <laughs> but, Woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Don't you love that about Isaiah? He doesn't say, I'm living among the people who are unclean lips. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I happen to live among the same kind of people. And uh, that's, a, that's a very good place to be. Uh, someone says, we, we all have to recognize that we're rowing around in a sea of pea soup in a lead boat. I love that illustration. A sea of pea soup in a lead boat. Now, why is this so important in discovering what the Lord has for us? Having an accurate view of our own sinfulness because of one word, pride. Now, you remember the story of Uzziah that I told earlier? What was his failing? He became proud. He thought, I can be both king and priest. And when he became pride, proud, he lost it. Now, in James chapter four, verse six, it says, and I quote this all the time, that the Lord is actively against, working against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the you know what grace is? Grace is, is a merited favor. This is this is the way grace has worked in my life. There's a task that needs to be done, say. I need to do this task, okay, as pastor. And so uh, with all that I've learned and, and the abilities and talents that I come up about this this short, but there's still this much more that needs to be done. You know what fills that spot? Not me. It's grace. God puts it together so that I'm able to do that task And that's exactly what you need when you're doing a task for the Lord. You need his grace. Without an act, without asking for a show of hands, how many of you would like to have the Lord working actively against you? No, 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 no. I don't want any part of that meal. I don't want anything to do with that. We need his grace. How do you get his grace? Mm -mm. By having an accurate view of your own sinfulness, your shortcomings. You need him. Paul wrote, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Everything that he did was by God's grace. He goes on and says, I labored more than all of them, those other guys, but yet not I, but the grace of God with me. At the beginning, at the end of his testimony, it's what? It's the grace of God. You need the grace of God. And it only comes when you recognize your own shortcomings, your own failings. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you're doing so good? You think you're doing so good? Not true, not true. Over and over again, I was, I've been brought to a place where I saw my own sinfulness, my own failings. It began the day I came to know the Lord when I saw what a mess I had made out of my life. And it was in that condition It was in that condition that when the gospel was shared with me that I accepted Christ. Now, if I was in a place of thinking I'm doing okay, you know, I'm all right, doing fine. Would I have been open to the the call of the Lord? I don't think so. We need an accurate view of our our own sinfulness. Okay. Now, if all these are true, having an accurate view of our shortcomings of men. The Lord and His holiness, my own sinfulness. Then the next follows right following a positive response to the Lord and His work. A positive response to the Lord's work in our lives. And that has three elements to it. First element a willingness to find freedom from iniquity and forgiveness of sins. Look at verses six and seven. The seraphim comes, touches his lips with a burning coal, and it says, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Isaiah was completely open to this. He was completely open to this, to have his iniquity taken away and find forgiveness of his sins. Now, that sounds pretty heavy with uh, this hot coal touching his lips, but that illustrates what was going on. Now, Many people, however, still struggle with this issue. Uh, They haven't found freedom from iniquity. They haven't found forgiveness of sin. And central to this issue, and that's what keeps many people from finding this, is repentance. They need to repent. Now, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he preached the Pentecost sermon... In Acts chapter 2, he, he has this wonderful sermon. And then it says the people who were listening to him said, Brethren, what should we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. That's what he said. So when the gospel is presented, you need to repent. What does it mean to repent? As I pause to take another drink. To repent means to change your mind change your mind about two things. Jesus and the meaning and purpose of life. First, Jesus. If you think Jesus is just a nice guy, a good teacher, was a Jewish man, uh, you know, started a, a, a religion, you know, and he had some good things today, that's all true about Jesus, but there's much more. If you l- listen uh, to... Don Stewart, these past couple of weeks, he told us who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is incarnate God who came to take away the sins of the world. It says that he came to die on the cross, to die on the cross so that we might find forgiveness of sins. It says we need to put our trust and faith in that only. Not in our education or our looks or our money, but only in God. The reason God should let you into heaven, the reason he should grant you eternal life is because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You need to change your mind about Jesus. If you think he's a nice guy, he is a nice guy. If he's a great teacher, he's a great teacher. But he also needs to be your Lord and your Savior. And until you change your mind about Jesus, then you're still on the outside. But if you'll change your mind, if you repent, it says that you now have, here it is, peace peace with God. You have peace with God. And you can have a surety that when you pass away that you'll have eternal life. So you got to change your mind about Jesus. You've got to change your mind, secondly, about the purpose of life. If you think the purpose of life is, in the, is in comp, compilated in that bumper sticker that says, he who has a toy, most toys when he dies wins. That's a stupid thing. He who has the most toys wins. Give me a break. you got to fix all those toys. All those toys keep breaking. You spend all your time fixing your toys. Uh, the meaning and purpose of life, the Bible says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the meaning of life. And see, if you get to know him and you glorify him, you will enjoy him. If you're fighting against him, you probably won't enjoy him. But if you'll yield to him, you'll enjoy. So the purpose of life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Is that happening to you? Do you have a right view of Jesus? Have you moved your faith from being in yourself or whatever you're into, your education, whatever it is, or your goals? you got to move your trust to Christ. When you move your trust to Christ, you're a child of God. You're born again. So, and when you find Christ, you find freedom from your iniquity and forgiveness of sins. Okay. Second positive response, a willingness to be used by the Lord. Look what it says, verse 8. It says, who shall go for us? And and Isaiah said, "Here I am, send me." He had a positive response, a willingness to be used by the Lord. Stories are filled in the Bible about people who were called by the Lord and went. Abraham, remember? Abraham was called out of the Ur of Chaldees and went west. He didn't even know where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going, but he went. He said, yes, Lord, I'll go. And his whole life changed. How about Moses? Now, Moses had a couple of questions about what he was going to do, but eventually he went, went back to Egypt and delivered the people, delivered Israel out of Egypt. Uh, So Abraham, Moses, Samuel, the prophets, all of them had this call, and they basically said, here I am, send me. And me. Now, our fear is that the Lord would call us to do something that we would hate. To Take us to a place. If I say, yes, Lord, uh, I'll go. He'll send us to some awful place like maybe Cambodia or Phnom Penh or uh, Laos or some other place. And, oh, I'll hate it there. But that's not what he's calling you. Now, he could be calling you. But he's called those people who are there. That's why they're there. Maybe he's calling you to do something completely different. Now, remember when I said that um, <clears throat> he came to give you life and life more abundantly? You see, the devil wants you to lead kind of a marginal, ho-hum, boring Christian life. But if you yield to him, to Jesus, he'll give you that abundant life. And it could be as simple as something of leading worship or doing something like that. There's something that will fill your soul. That doesn't mean you have to quit your job. No, 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 we're not talking about that. It might be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. He, when you yield yourself to his spirit and you see his spirit using you to expand the kingdom of God, it does, you know what it does to you? It makes you feel whole. It, you can sense the, you say, thank you, Lord, for using this wretched, miserable sinner that I am. And it brings joy to your soul. So why would you not want to say yes to the Lord? Could he send you to some foreign land? Yes. But when you get there, it'll give you fullness of soul. Does that mean you won't have trials? No, 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 no. You have trials whether you obey the Lord or you don't obey the Lord. Isn't that true? So why not obey the Lord and have that that blessing that comes with yielding to him? So you have to have a willingness Uh, to be used by the Lord. Now, um, in February of 1972, just a few weeks after I became a Christian, I found out that our church had a little Bible school during the weeknights. And I decided that that was something the Lord wanted me to do. And I went there, and I joined the Bible school, and that began a journey that the Lord took me on eight years in schooling and back and forth and Eventually landed me right here this morning. Did I know that I was going to be a pastor? <laughs> no. no. I was a I worked for U.S. Steel and, and Crucible Steel. I was a clerk in the, in the mills, and I came out here to go surfing. I was a pastor. A pastor? I want to be a pastor. But I felt that the Lord wanted me to go to Bible school, so I did. And I'm so glad that I did, because that journey that he took. Me on. Was it free of trials? Did it? It was everything wonderful? No, no, no. Nothing was, it didn't like that. But I'm so glad because he's given me a wonderful family and a, a sense of fullness of my soul. And he's given me all you guys who have been so patient and kind to me and my family over the years. And I couldn't thank him more than, I can't thank him more than enough because he's done so much for me. Guess what? My experience is no different from you. Because that's what the Lord says. He made a promise that if we yield to him, he'd give us an abundance of joy in our hearts. Not free of trial, but a fullness of soul. There's a purposeful life. There's something that he has. And oftentimes it begins with you just saying, yes, Lord, do you know where he's going to take you? No, but that's okay. Do you trust him? If you're trusting him to take you into heaven, can't you just trust him with the few years you got left on this earth? Come on. Believe me. Trust me. And trust the word of God. He's got something for you, but you need to be willing to be used. Finally, uh, really quickly, a willingness to speak the truth without reservation. Verses 9 through 13. A willingness to speak the truth without reservation. If you read this passage, and we did, it seems like this was not a real happy, clappy message. Matter of fact, it's quoted by Jesus in his ministry to the rebellious people in his day. And so he, um, but he told the truth. He was given, he needed to speak the truth to a rebellious people. Now in the end, he talks about how the, their, their country was gonna be devastated but there'll be a small remnant that will come back. But that was a harsh message. And he told the truth without reservation. Uh, Years ago, there was a president called Harry Truman, and they used to call him Give Him Hell Harry. And I I looked it up on the Internet, Give Him Hell Harry, and here's what happened. Harry Truman, in 1948, was uh, running for president. And one day at a speech, he was lambasting his opponents, and somebody... In the audience yelled, "Give him hell, Harry!" And he said, uh, "I don't give them hell. I just tell the truth about them, and they think it's hell." <laughs> so you know you need to tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. You don't need to worry about it. Now, as time goes on, and as our country seems to be moving further and further into ungodliness, every one of us need to be prepared to start telling the truth without reservation. Now, my temptation has been oftentimes as pastor to um, soothe the word, make it a little bit easier, palatable for you. I gave. I have to confess that occasionally I did that, but most of the time I tried to tell the truth. Uh, you thought it was hell, but I was just telling the truth. Um, we need to do that. Now, and no matter what situation you find yourself in. Now, I was telling the um, the men's dinner, uh, about our trip to Florida. And in our trip to Florida, uh, all the 12 cousins that were produced from my mom and dad were there along with their kids, their kids, their kids, and their boyfriends and girlfriends and all, all kinds of living situations. Many of them living together, not married, and one particular uh, second cousin had brought her a uh, lesbian girlfriend. So that was that kind of situation. The Travis family is a kind of a mixed bag down in Florida. And uh, I asked my sister if I could give the blessing for the food, so I did. But before I did, uh, I told a story about my mom. Now, my mom was revered by every one of those people. It, they all loved Peggy. She was a great mom, not just because she was my mom, but every one of them revered, and I told them. Peggy had a temptation. She had a trial. I said, in 1939, my sister Phyllis was born. In 1940, early 1940, uh, my mother was pregnant with my brother Fred. And what happened is, my Aunt Sue, being the busybody that she is, or was, um, convinced my father that they couldn't support another child. With the war coming on also, that they should terminate the pregnancy of my, uh, that my mom was carrying at that time, which was my brother Fred. And you know what my mother did? No way. No way. Am I going to do that? And she, she had Fred. And I said, now listen carefully. A lot of times during early on, when you terminated a pregnancy, often the, the mother was unable to have kids after that. And I said, so Freddie's kids wouldn't be here. My kids wouldn't be here. I might not be here. You might not be here. And Gail's kids, the other three kids after my sister Phyllis was born. And I says, you know what? She did what was right. She did what was right at a critical time. And I says, and what's right? How do we determine what's right? It's in the Bible and the revelation that we've given about Jesus Christ. You guys do right. And everybody kind of was looking at their shoes. (laughs) Uh, Must have been something going on with their shoes. But I, I tell that story because you might be in that same position at work, or at home, in a family. You need to speak the truth. You need to speak the truth in love, without reservation, because the truth will set them free. Okay, let me quickly close. Um, Is our calling equal to Isaiah? Well, maybe, maybe not. But each of us are called. The question is, what is he calling you to do? What is he calling me to do? Perhaps what he's calling you to do is just that first step, and he's going to take you on a long journey that you don't even know where you're going. And maybe you young people, 20 years from now, you'll think, wow, look what the Lord has done with me. That's a promise. You you won't believe where he'll take you if you'll say yes to him. So the question is, that we have closing question, is are we ready to say, here I am, send me? Well, maybe we ought to do that as a church. Can we all say that together? Let's all say that together. Here I am, send me. Father, here we are. We're willing to be willing. Now use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me this morning.